Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast. This one is gonna be on training fatigue. This is like my fourth attempt at doing this because it just got complicated really quickly. So what I'm gonna do in this podcast is just kind of summarize my main points. I want to address a couple of misconceptions about training fatigue, namely the difference between CNS fatigue and peripheral fatigue, and maybe give you a little bit of food for thought. So I'm gonna be doing a little bit more explaining on the physiological causes of fatigue, and that's gonna be a little bit more technical than some of the stuff I've spoken about before in previous podcasts. So it might be a little bit hard to follow for a few people because it's gonna have a little bit more jargon, but I'll do my best to keep it simple. At least you'll get some sort of main points and some takeaway points at the start and at the end, uh, just to summarize it all and hopefully you'll find that helpful. But before I get into it, I just wanna mention that I have a new product release coming up in a couple of weeks time. It's basically gonna be some templated workouts that allow also a bit of flexibility and also have a ton of support and structure behind them as well as some tools to help you dial in your nutrition. So it's gonna actually help you manage your training fatigue pretty well. It ties in nicely with the podcast, but I'll have more details about that coming out in a couple of weeks or so. So keep an eye out, keep an ear out. Uh, and yeah, I just kind of wanted to tease a little bit to start with. Okay, cool. So let's get into fatigue. The place where I want to start is really by just defining fatigue, because I suppose that's where a lot of these discussions kind of fall over before they've even started. So fatigue is technically not how you feel. It's not a feeling of tiredness or whatever. It's technically speaking, in a training sense, a temporary reduction in physical performance. And obviously, when we're talking about training with weights, it's a bit more specific than that. It's a reduction in the ability to voluntarily produce force from our muscles. So our ability to produce force goes down. That's fatigue. So you'll hear me talk a lot in this podcast about force production. And that's why I'm talking about it, because if we get a reduction in force production, then that's fatigue. So this can happen within a session. So for example, we could do a set of squats and in our first set of squats, we're gonna produce a lot more force than on our fifth or sixth set of squats, God forbid. <laughs> it also happens between sessions as well. So for example, let's say you do a massive leg session today, you wouldn't expect to perform at the same level if you repeated that session again this afternoon, you would maybe have to wait one, two, three, maybe even four plus days before you feel like your performance is back to where it was before. So fatigue has different timelines and all it is is just a reduction in that force, in that force production. So I'm gonna explain later on exactly how we produce force, like all of the different steps involved from how it goes from the brain to the actual muscle, because that allows us to understand where exactly we can get this breakdown in force production and how we can manage it by changing up our training. But like I already said, I recorded this a couple of times, I tried to explain it and I think it just gets a little bit convoluted. So let me just go through a couple of things first. We tend to separate the two different types of fatigue into two different types. There is CNS or sometimes called central fatigue. And then there is peripheral fatigue or local fatigue or muscular fatigue, right? Now the definition of CNS fatigue is a reduction in force that originates in the motor cortex in the brain or in the spine. That's the central nervous system, right? So our ability to produce force is affected by something going on with the motor cortex or the spine. Now we also get peripheral fatigue at times that's called local fatigue or muscular fatigue. And this happens at the level of the muscle tissue itself. Now fatigue generated here could be uh, at the neuromuscular junction where the nervous system meets the muscle fiber. It could be where the electrical signal 
gets transmitted from the actual membrane of the muscle fiber to the inside of the muscle fiber. It could be that the internal components of the fiber itself are unable to carry out their roles. So to give an example, the calcium storage unit inside the cell called the sarcoplasmic reticulum could have a reduced ability to release calcium and that can then dampen the chemical signal that causes muscle to contract. So all of these things can result in a, redu in a reduction of force and that's essentially where muscle fatigue gets generated. So Peripheral fatigue is kind of like we get some sort of breakdown at the level of the muscle. Now we tend to separate the two of them, CNS fatigue and peripheral fatigue, but they're actually related, which is pretty interesting. So we tend to kind of separate the types of training that cause fatigue. Well, this type of training causes CNS fatigue and that type of training causes local fatigue and that's that. But the reality is, is that the brain and the muscles talk to each other all the time. So what can happen is that your central nervous system can have like reduced output because of what's happening at the muscle. The muscle can send a signal back to the brain that essentially turns down the brain's ability to produce a nervous system signal in the first place. And in this way, peripheral fatigue actually has a really strong effect on CNS fatigue. So just bear that in mind as we talk through this. It has huge implications on how we actually train, you know, because of the stuff that normally causes this CNS output reduction is typically stuff that we also find in CNS, in, uh, in local fatigue. So let's take a step back and talk about what actually happens. The motor cortex helps us produce force. So in the motor cortex, we essentially plan how to produce force and how to coordinate that force to execute a movement. So your brain has a plan. It figures out how much muscle force we need to produce and it sends this signal out down the spine. And the signal that originates in the motor cortex and the size of that signal is related to the number of muscle fibers that we need to get involved. So if we're gonna pick up and move the couch, our brain recognizes that we're gonna need a fair bit of force and therefore the signal that comes out of the motor cortex is much bigger and that results in more muscle fibers getting involved. But if you're just picking up a pen or a glass of water or something, the signal coming out of the brain is much smaller because we don't need to produce as much force. So the signal that comes out of the motor cortex is really essentially related to effort, right? So I mentioned previously that fatigue is not technically how tired you feel or any of that, but really perception and intent actually play a pretty big role in how much force we're able to produce. The size of the signal that gets sent from the motor cortex uh, is, is really different depending on the sort of psychological arousal that we have. So think of it this way. Let's say you're a powerlifter and you're training in your home gym and like maybe it's a bit cold and there's no one else there and you're just training by yourself and it's just your average session during the day you can get in a good session you can kind of psych yourself up and lift some heavy weights and produce a lot of force but it's a really different environment to something like a powerlifting meet imagine you were at a powerlifting meet instead you had a bunch of people in the crowd cheering for you they were screaming creating a lot of noise it's a big event your coach is slapping you on the back you have a high level of psychological arousal in that situation and that means that the signal that comes out of the motor cortex is going to be larger, which means more muscle fibers are going to get involved and we're going to have more force being produced. So like I mentioned, you know, fatigue is not technically how you feel, but how you feel and the amount of effort you put in can actually technically affect how much force you put out. Now, what that means for training is that it actually has quite a, an interesting implication because 
Some peripheral fatigue factors like the accumulation of metabolites can therefore affect how much your central nervous system is putting out in terms of that signal originating in the motor cortex. Think about it this way, like if you produce a lot of metabolic stress in a muscle, you actually end up with this feeling of discomfort or like associations with sensations caused by you know burning sensations and things like that. I'm sure you've been in that situation before where you're doing a set and you could technically keep lifting the weight, like your muscles haven't reached failure yet, you could still keep going, but it just gets so uncomfortable, the burn gets so bad or the fatigue gets so high that you just decide to stop, you just quit. Um, happens quite a lot with running and endurance exercise as well, right? A lot of it is so mental because it's just how long you can tolerate that discomfort that determines you know, whether you actually end up finishing the race or not. So in this way, you sometimes just feel tired and sick and, and burning so bad you stop, even though you could have physically kept going. And so these sensations that are caused by peripheral factors like metabolic stress actually end up changing how much force is put out by the central nervous system. And this is kind of counterintuitive because what I've just said essentially is that the stuff that causes more metabolic stress, in other words, things that last longer, longer durations of exercises, shorter rest periods, maybe like higher rep ranges, getting closer to failure, all of that stuff that hurts real bad, uh, actually ends up creating more CNS fatigue. And that's the opposite of what we always get told. Everyone always says, oh, lifting heavy creates the most CNS fatigue. It's not actually true. If you think about it, the stuff that causes the most discomfort, the most burning sensations, all of that stuff, uh, you know, more metabolite accumulation, more inflammatory response, higher levels of oxidation, more muscle damage, all of those things actually cause more CNS fatigue because those sensations of discomfort and the experience of, of those at the muscular level, at the peripheral level, sends a signal back to the CNS back to the motor cortex that dampens its ability to send out a signal again back down to the muscle. And the research has been pretty clear on this. You get more CNS fatigue during endurance training than you do from anything else. So this is completely topsy-turvy for a lot of people. Now, I'm gonna actually talk about how we produce force and explain this just because at each of these levels, you can get a breakdown of force production and that's obviously what's related to fatigue. So to start off, the motor cortex generates an electrical signal like we've already spoken about. And we've spoken about how effort and perception can affect that and also the intent behind the task. But we generate this electrical signal in the motor cortex and it travels down the spine. Now the signal can get altered as it travels down the spine, but we don't really know how or why. So I'm just gonna ignore that for now. So the signal goes down the spine and then it has to make a jump from the nervous system to the muscle itself. And that happens at the neuromuscular junction, which is exactly what it sounds like neuro, nervous system, muscular, the muscle, junction, it's where they join, it's where they meet. So we, this electrical signal jumps from the nervous system to the muscle. And when the muscle fiber gets electrified, that electrical signal has to be carried by the membrane that surrounds the muscle fiber. We call this the sarcolemma. So the electrical signal jumps across to the muscle fiber, it hits the membrane, and the sarcolemma's job is basically to transmit that electrical signal to the inside components of the muscle. Now inside the muscle fiber, we have this giant storage container full of calcium called the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And this is important because calcium is actually the chemical signal that we use to cause the muscle to start contracting. So for the muscle to start contracting, we need to have this big calcium release from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. 
calcium release equals muscle contraction. And the more calcium we have, the more muscle contraction we have as well. The calcium actually interacts with the thick and thin filaments, the myosin and the actin, and those are the physically contractile parts of the muscle tissue. Those are the ones that start interacting with each other and actually start producing force. So at each of these levels, we could have a breakdown in the transmission of the signal. Just to run through it again, we have the signal originating in the motor cortex as an electrical signal. It travels down the spine. It hits the neuromuscular junction and jumps across to the muscle fiber. It then has to be transmitted through the membrane of the muscle fiber to the internal part of the muscle fiber. And mostly we're looking at the sarcoplasmic reticulum, the big storage site of calcium that detects the electrical signal. It releases a bunch of calcium into the muscle fiber and the thin and thick filaments then detect this release of calcium and they start interacting with, it, with each other and contracting. Okay, so at each part of these, we can get a breakdown. Now, central fatigue, that part's pretty straightforward. That's the signal in the original motor cortex. Um, when we get down to the level of the actual muscle fiber itself and talking about peripheral fatigue, it starts to get a little bit more complicated because there's a lot of different things that could happen here that can cause a change in the transmission of that signal. All right, so I'm going to talk through that a little bit now. So the cyclolemma itself, the part of the muscle fiber that transmits the original electrical signal from the central nervous system, that can be damaged. Whenever we have repeated muscular contractions, we actually get a release of enzymes called phospholipases that can damage that membrane. And if that membrane gets damaged, it's not as good as at transmitting the, the nervous system signal to the inside of the muscle. We also get a change in the electrolyte concentration around the muscle fiber when there's a lot of reactive oxygen species being produced. And just as an aside, the reason why that happens is because we get a disabling of the sodium potassium pump. So if anyone out there is familiar with, I suppose, the physiology part of things, um, we have an increase in reactive oxygen species that interferes with the concentration gradient of electrolytes that surrounds the muscle fiber because we get a disabling of the sodium potassium pump. And then at the same time, we also get this release of phospholipases, which are released when there's a lot of calcium around during muscle contractions and these can damage the sarcolemma as well. So basically what happens is our ability to transmit the electrical signal from the central nervous system to the internal part of the muscle is damaged because the membrane that transmits it gets damaged. And again, that happens with repeated muscle contractions. So higher rep ranges, longer duration exercise, shorter rest periods, all of these things contribute to that. Okay, so once the electrical signal is transmitted by the membrane, it goes to the sarcoplasmic reticulum the big storage site full of calcium. When the sarcoplasmic reticulum detects electricity, it releases calcium. But if the sarcoplasmic reticulum cannot detect the electrical signal, we get less calcium release. And we call this excitation contraction coupling failure. You don't really need to know that, but for any nodes out there who want to, that's it there. And this can also happen due to damage. It can happen due to the damage of the voltage sensors in the sarcoplasmic reticulum from those same enzymes that are released during muscular contraction. So again, repeated muscular contraction, higher rep ranges, shorter rest periods, longer duration exercise, all of these things produce more of these enzymes which can damage the voltage sensor on the calcium storage site, which then means less calcium gets released, we get less muscle contraction, and that means lower force. In other words, 
fatigue. Okay, so that's where we're at right now. And the next step is that the calcium needs to play its role at the thick and thin filaments, the myosin and actin. These are the actual contractile parts of the muscle fiber itself. This is what causes the muscle to contract. And the, the way that calcium kind of works is it allows the main energy currency of the cell, ATP. You've probably heard of it. Uh, this is what our mitochondria sort of produces is ATP. ATP is what powers muscular contraction and calcium is what allows ATP to actually interact and power all of these contractile components of the muscle fiber itself. So what can happen is we can get a big release of calcium, but sometimes what happens is that ATP and the ability of calcium to allow ATP to do its job uh, gets disrupted. And this gets disrupted by things like metabolite accumulation. So specifically phosphate for anybody who's into that sort of stuff. So this is a big problem because if we get metabolite accumulation, uh, metabolites are essentially like the, the metabolic fallout of having repeated muscular contraction. So anytime we sort of generate physical work, we have this uh, these excess molecules being produced that's sort of waste products that need to be cleaned up and neutralized. And this metabolite accumulation can interfere with muscular contraction. So again, what's gonna cause the most metabolite accumulation? All the stuff I've been saying, slower tempos, higher rep ranges, longer exercise duration, etc., etc., etc. On top of all of that, there are some structural support parts of the muscle fiber. The cytoskeleton of the cell helps to transmit any force produced by the muscle fiber. And this can also have physical damage caused to it by the accumulation of calcium. Again, the release of those damaging enzymes. So just to recap where we're at right now, we have two different types of fatigue. We have central nervous system fatigue or central fatigue. And this is a reduction in the original signal sent from the brain down the spine. It can happen within a session, it can happen between sessions, and it's also really heavily influenced by peripheral fatigue. And we've just been talking about all the things involved with peripheral fatigue. This is a reduction in the muscle fiber's ability to produce force. We could get reduced muscle fiber activation because our muscle's unable to detect the electrical signal as well as it could have. We could also get less calcium release. We could get less sensitivity to calcium release. We could get actual damage to the structural components that transmit force in the fiber. We could get an accumulation of metabolites that interfere with ATP's ability to power muscular contraction. So these are all types of, or different parts of peripheral fatigue that all kind of occur together. Now, the important part of all of this to note is that some of these mechanisms are really slow to reverse and some are fast to reverse. And this can inform our programming quite a lot. Okay, so things like metabolite accumulation and oxidative stress, those are pretty quick to reverse. Like imagine you're doing a workout and you know, you're doing some bicep curls, your biceps are burning like hell, it's really painful. What do you do to get rid of that? Well, you just rest, right? You just stop contracting your biceps for a bit. You give them a couple of minutes. The blood comes through, washes out those metabolites, and you start to feel back to normal within a few minutes, right? So that's pretty quick to reverse. But muscle damage, that's slow to reverse. If we get damage to any components of the muscle fiber itself, all those things I've been speaking about, like the, the membrane, the sarcoplasmic reticulum, the actual muscle fibers, the cytoskeleton, if we get damage there, this is pretty slow to reverse because our body's got to come in, our immune system's got to clean up the area, we've got to set it up and rebuild some of those components and that can take a little while to recover from. Now remember, anything that causes a ton of peripheral fatigue is also going to cause a ton of CNS fatigue. So anything that causes more muscle damage is going to cause more CNS fatigue. 
and that has real implications for how well we can recover between sessions. So things like training with higher volumes, training closer to failure, training with very light loads and high reps cause more muscle damage and this causes more CNS fatigue. And this is quite amusing to me because it's actually the complete opposite to the belief that training with heavy loads causes lots of CNS fatigue. It's completely different. And this really has implications for how we set up our training because ultimately we want to try and limit the amount of CNS fatigue we generate during workouts because it reduces our ability to send a signal out to our muscle fibers and recruit them and tell them to switch on. Now, fatigue is inevitable. Uh, there's no way we're going to get around that. I don't think we should necessarily be trying to avoid fatigue completely. We just want to make sure that any training we do, for the fatigue we generate, we're getting a good stimulus. Okay, so we want to avoid a situation where, like, let me give you an example. Let's say we were going to train our deadlift, our squat, and our bench press all in one session. And you decided, okay, cool, I'm going to do all of my squats, then I'm going to do all of my deadlifts, then I'm going to do all of my bench presses. Sweet. Well, obviously the deadlift and the squat are using lower body muscles. We're going to mostly be using the quads, we're going to be using the glutes, the adductors, and like the lower back, that sort of stuff. All of these muscles are pretty minimally involved in the bench press, right? But we all intuitively know that if you did a bunch of hard sets of squats, a bunch of hard sets on deadlifts, if you got to your bench press at the end of that session, would you be able to produce your best possible force, your best possible sets for those bench press sets? Probably not. But why? You haven't trained your upper body yet, have you? There's no local fatigue in the upper body musculature. Well, the reason why is because you've generated a bunch of fatigue from your leg muscles that have sent a signal back to the central nervous system that have turned down your motor cortex's ability to send out its signal again to any muscle in the rest of your body. So straight away we can see that the order of exercises matters quite a lot because of this reason. You wouldn't want to do an entire upper body session either full of bicep curls and lateral raises and bench presses and this sort of stuff and then have to back that up after an hour with you know three sets of five heavy squats. It just doesn't make any sense. We intuitively know that you're going to be too stuffed to do that. You can't produce as much force, even though you haven't trained your legs yet during that session. So it means exercise order matters. It also means that we want to avoid what's often called junk volume. So we also know that you can't just kind of do all of your training for the week in one day. Like why do we separate sessions? Because we know that at some point, the extra sets that we're doing are not providing the same amount of stimulus that our first bunch of sets do, right? At some point, you start getting diminishing returns. You can't just keep doing another set of squats and another set of squats and another set of squats and continue to drive more and more and more muscle growth from each additional set. It just kind of peters off and flattens out at some point. But the amount of fatigue you generate actually goes up. So at some point, what happens is that we have this certain ratio of stimulus to fatigue. And at some point during the session, the stimulus that we get from each additional set starts to go down and the amount of fatigue we generate either stays the same or goes up. And so eventually that ratio is going to get pretty skewed and we don't want to get into that situation. So doing all of this additional volume that doesn't provide us that much extra stimulus causes more muscle damage, which means more CNS fatigue between sessions. It doesn't stimulate as many fibers. It means that the rest of our sessions throughout the week are affected. Maybe the next week of training is affected, all this sort of stuff. 
So there are a few bits and pieces that we kind of want to manage with this. Now, I've mentioned before that um, the potential factors that are going to cause more of this fatigue are things like longer duration exercise, longer sets, lighter loads for more reps, slower tempos, shorter rest periods, training closer to failure, like anything that causes more muscle damage, like excess training volume or overloading the eccentric part of the lift or training at really long muscle lengths all the time. All of these things cause more muscle damage and therefore more fatigue. Now, it doesn't mean we want to avoid these things. It just means that we have to recognize that there is a fatigue cost to doing this kind of training. And you want to make sure that you are then allocating your sessions intelligently. You're doing the right amount of training volume. Your fatigue uh, management and recovery is on point for those types of sessions. And maybe you are also just sort of thinking about matching your nutrition a bit better to those types of sessions to mitigate fatigue, right? Ultimately, you're going to have to do some training with lighter loads closer to failure or more sets or slower tempos or shorter rest periods. You're going to have to do some of that training at some point. I'm not saying you should just do training that minimizes muscle damage or minimizes fatigue all the time. I'm just saying that we need to think about this sort of stuff when we are doing our programming, right? Okay, so I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I don't want to Babylon too much with this, but hopefully it's given you a little bit of food for thought and maybe sort of shown you that there's like a lot that we need to think about from a mechanistic point of view when it comes to fatigue and certainly the old trope that lifting real heavy causes more CNS fatigue or that CNS and peripheral fatigue are really separate from each other. Um, isn't really true they're kind of linked to each other in a lot of ways so hopefully that's provided a little bit more insight if you have enjoyed it please uh, give me a share give me a rating feel free to tag me so i can say thank you and if you have any feedback please let me know thanks a ton i'll catch you in the next one